Good morning, everyone. At here and at home, uh, thank you for joining us today. We're going to continue in our series in the book of Romans, and we're all the way to chapter 15. Uh, pretty soon, I think we're going to put the Bibles back in the, in the pews so you can turn uh, and open the Bible as well and read along, but with all the COVID stuff, we try to minimize the, the touchy kind of things in our church, but I think we're good to bring them back soon. Uh, so... How many of you remember Walt Disney's 1959 movie called Sleeping Beauty? Anyone? I see that hand. <laughs> there was a character in the, uh, the Disney movie. It was uh, the antagonist. Remember? Remember the name of the antagonist? The witchy woman? Maleficent. Um, so 59, it was Maleficent in... Um, in the Sleeping Beauty version, and then recently uh, they, they brought back the character. I actually didn't, don't remember seeing either one of these, but strange-looking person. And the reason I bring it up is because that's the, actually not a person's name. Maleficent is, de defining it, is that uh, <clears throat> someone who brings harm or destruction, especially by supernatural means. Um, I found it a bit ironic that... Uh, Angelina Jolie uh, was the main character of Maleficent because Angelina means messenger of God. <laughs> kind of a strange person, an angel playing a Maleficent character. So uh, I was asking my son the other day, he just graduated in nursing, and uh, I asked him if he had to take the Hippocratic Oath. And he says, no, just the, the doctors have to do that. Um, because there's, there's a phrase in this, this Hippocratic Oath that is talking about non-maleficence. Can you all say that together? Ready? Non-maleficence. <laughs> That's kind of what we're talking about today in the service. Non-maleficence. And so the, the Latin is a primum non nocere, which means, um, first, do no harm. Uh, so Hippocratic Oath, part of it is that don't make things worse. Uh, for the patient, try to make things better. Uh, some people take the, the golden rule uh, and, and switch it around uh, to make it sound like the Hippocratic Oath. Don't do things to anyone else that you don't want them to do to you. Well, it's not really what the golden rule is. It's, it's to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's, it's not the passive kind of a thing. It's an active, proactive, taking the initiative kinds of commands that Christ wanted us to do. So uh, we have orthodoxy, which means believing the right things, but we have another strange word that I don't actually like how it sounds my, myself, but it's orthopraxy. And what that is, is doing the right things, not just believing the right things, but doing the right things. And so in this chapter, the Apostle Paul is going to help us find out a few proactive things that we can do to help our neighbors. He's moved for the first uh, 12, 13, 14 chapters talking about doctrine and theology, some really heavy kinds of instructions and beliefs for us to, to grab a hold of, and now he's moving into kind of the practical end of Christianity. Uh, now that this is what you know, here's what we can do about it. So beginning at verse 1 in chapter 15 of Romans, I'm going to select a few, uh, some verses to, to look at today. We who are strong, it says, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. 
Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Verse 5 says, <clears throat> excuse me, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul was... Uh, his main goal in life and his main assignment from God was to reach the Gentiles. Uh, lots of the Jews had already heard about the, about the gospel from Israel. Um, the, the other uh, 10, 11 disciples that were left were there preaching the gospel. And, but one of them was set aside, the Apostle Paul, just to go to uh, bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And so he's writing to the, the uh, believers in Rome, encouraging them giving them more doctrines and theologies and understandings about what the gospel is all about. So in this section, I find three commands, and I find two blessings. And I want to look at these three commands first. First, in verse 1, he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So last week, we talked a little bit about, uh, Pastor Kyle was talking about not eating meat, um, if it offended some people. It wasn't really a vegetarian perspective so much as it was uh, to understand the context is that there are a lot of uh, pagan temples around in Rome, well, throughout the known world, where they offered sacrifices to pagan gods. Now, oftentimes that meat that was offered as a sacrifice would then be available in the markets or at the temples where you could go have lunch and have some pagan temple sacrifice meat today, you know, so uh, some people didn't really, didn't mean anything to them, and others who had been involved or engaged in that kind of temple practice that had offered meat to idols, it just seemed wrong. It, it just to them, like they're con they couldn't eat that meat that was offered to some other pagan deity, and they, and they, they couldn't understand why anyone else would want to eat it either. This was offered to a, a, other gods. Why would you why would you have lunch at the, at the pagan temple? And uh, it was causing some problems. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, it sheds a bit of light on this. He says, For although there may be uh, so-called gods in heaven or on earth, pagan gods, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is only one God, the Father, from whom all things um, and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom we all uh, we are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, they eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and better off if we do. 
But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So today, we don't have the corner temple where sacrifices are offered and you can go have lunch. Uh, but we do have other things that people have come out of certain lifestyles when they came to Christ. They, they put the old away in order to accept the new, the orthopraxy, living right. The problem is what bothers one person's conscience doesn't always bother someone else's conscience. For example, if a person has come out of a lifestyle of alcoholism and, and abuse and, and, and where, where alcohol just got a hold of them, um, was in control of them, and they would now not want anything to do with that because they, they can't go back into that lifestyle. It's so destructive and harmful. Perhaps they had a father who was abusive, was a mean drunk, came home and slapped around the kids and wife and, and, and destroyed their family. And so I know a fellow, he says, I can't see why anyone would ever have alcohol. I, I've seen firsthand the destructive force. Well, if, a, if a, a Christian who just came out of that lifestyle sees you having your, your business lunch at the pub or sees you um, drinking a little bit too much at a business, uh, company party or you know, offering wine at your house when the life group comes, they, they would be offended by that. They, they would be hurt by that. Say, you know, what, why would you do that? Don't you know how destructive that is? And so Paul is saying, you know, if, I, if someone really has an issue with that, I, I, why would I even drink around these kinds of people? Or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's gambling. Maybe someone has lost their house, lost their family, lost their job. Maybe someone, because of a gambling problem, um, went into illegal activity just to pay off their debt. And so they, 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 they have to stay away from it. But, you know, we can have the, the bingo and the 50-50s and, and all sorts of things if we want. But to them, it's, it's a destructive activity. And so we're not going to have casino night at our church because that could harm people. Just, we're not offering alcohol because there's too many alcoholics. We don't want to do things that are going to put people back uh, 10 steps in their life and back into destructive kinds of lifestyles. Um, maybe you talk a bit about a movie um, that's R-rated that you saw over the weekend. And other people have spent way too much time in videos and, and, and um, graphic violence and um, all, all sorts of things. And they, they don't know why you would go to such a movie. Well, you know, all these things are perfectly right in terms of if you don't have a problem with it, you have the right to do these things but not if it's going to damage another person. So what, what Paul is saying is, you've got lots of rights. You can, you can go out and do tons of stuff that, that are, won't be harmful to you because you don't have an addiction to it or a problem with it or you were abused by it when you grew up and it doesn't mean anything. You know, oh, we, we go to the casinos and we have a certain amount of money we're going to spend and, and uh, it's just entertainment. They're going, well, great for you. <laughs> it's great, but for others it's not. 
And Paul's saying we forever have to be careful about how we treat others, how we, what we do with our rights, uh, in, in case someone who has been really struggling in that area is watching us. And I, I know that uh, your reputation can be on the line sometimes with these things. You, you, you do have freedom to do all of these things if you want. It won't hurt your soul, but it would hurt someone else's walk with God if they see you doing these kinds of things that uh, would be very destructive to them. So there are things we can do perfectly fine for us that would not jeopardize our conscience, but others need to stay far away from those things as possible. So I say there's a time and a place for everything. It doesn't mean we stop doing anything. It just means we, we have to be aware of those who uh, around us, what their conscience is like, what, how far they are in their own walk with God. If, if they're weak, uh, we need to... We need to be careful about what we say and what we do. My grandfather served in World War I. He was very faithful to his belief in God. He was like a, a, a pseudo-chaplain even for the military, um, even though he was a machine gunner. Um, I guess he did the last rites over people when he was done or something. But he was very disciplined, and he was very playful as a Christian as well. And he led the choir at his church, worked with the youth, and I, I understand that at one occasion he took the youth out on a camping trip, and he brought out a deck of cards and taught them how to play games with the cards, just like he did with his soldier buddies uh, overseas. And um, unfortunately, three out of the five kids that were on that camping trip developed an addiction to gambling. And uh, throughout their life, it ruined their marriages, it ruined their job, it ruined their life. So my grandfather said, I will never have another deck of cards in my house. I cannot contribute to that in anyone else. Ever. So I grew up in a home that had no playing cards. We had other kind of cards that were um, Dutch Blitz, that kind of stuff. But my dad was a little bit worried about those too. Like they could, be, could gamble with those. <laughs> so... Because of what happened through my grandfather, it impacted my family as well. And it was a, a poignant kind of a story to, to be a warning to me to be careful about what I do, what it could lead to in other people's lives. So the, the next command is in verse 2. It says, let, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. And you see, this is also another proactive command. Uh, we have to uh, watch uh, the weak, bear with the failings of the weak. We need to please our neighbor and build them up. It's another, another command to say, get out there and do stuff that will make a difference in someone else's life. Have you heard of uh, Jonathan Goldsmith, anyone? An American actor, a character actor. He began playing the role of the most interesting man in the world. You've seen him on TV commercials, and I guarantee it. Here's some of the, his quotes from the most interesting man in the world. He says, my tears can cure cancer. Too bad I never cry. Sharks have a week dedicated to me. He says, Superman has pajamas with my logo. He said, I once brought a knife to a gunfight just to even the odds. Or the dark is afraid of me. Or he, is, he says, the circus ran away to join me. <laughs> or the holy grail is looking for me. Um, roses stop to smell me, he says. Very egotistical, uh, narcissistic, self-absorbed, 
people that think they're the greatest in the world. It's all a, a bit of a joke kind of a thing. It's a character that he's playing. But there are people that it's all about them. And Paul is saying, no, it's all about your neighbor. It's not about building yourself up. It's not about your reputation. It's about how to help others uh, and how to, how to build them up, how to help our neighbor uh, in any way possible. Our neighbor is someone in need, right? It's not just the guy across the fence or across the street. Our neighbor is someone who needs help in any, any kind of a way. We stop to make a difference. The world is full of people who are grabbing and self-seeking, says Dale Carnegie. So the rare individual who unselfishly tries to serve others has an enormous advantage because he's got very little competition. Theodore Roosevelt has said that whenever he had a guest coming to his home, he would stay up late at night reading up whatever subject he knew was particularly of interest to his guest the next day, so he would be able to have great conversations with those that came to his home. Verse 3 is another command that Paul has here. It says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I can say, since I, being here for the past year, in fact, last Sunday uh, was my one-year anniversary. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I've heard over and over and over how friendly this church is. And I watch as you make our guests feel comfortable and welcome and uh, how you bring them in. Um, my, my concern, though, is does it go past the foyer? Is our welcoming uh, more than just saying hi when you see people on Sunday? Is it inviting people to our homes? Do you go to the next level of making people feel welcome? It says we are to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. What does that look like? So when my family moved back from overseas, we were over there for seven years in Europe, uh, pastoring an international congregation, and we needed to find a church where my family could fit, someone that would love my kids and my wife while I was gone traveling overseas on, on my assignments uh, through Blackaby Ministries. We visited a lot of churches. We visited all, all the churches in the area in Maple Ridge, and some churches, not one person said a thing to us. I mean, we looked nice. We had a shower. We dressed up. We smelled okay. We would actually stay in the foyer a little bit longer just to see if anyone would say hi, and sometimes no one did. So, nope, cross that one off. Um, then we were in a church where, um, where we were greeted in the foyer, but that's as far as it went. Uh, no one called. For almost two years, we attended a church that nobody ever invited our family over. They didn't want us to be a part, I guess, of their world, just as long as they saw us in the foyer on Sunday, they would say hi. And um, it bothered me. And I, you know, I was a, trained as a pastor. I was in ministry, traveling overseas. And you'd think the pastors would maybe give me a call once in a while, do coffee. No. So it got to the point where I, was, I noticed this, that the only time that I was connected with was in the church foyer. So I, I would try to avoid the church foyer because <laughs> I didn't want kind of the perfunctory, hi, how are you? And um, in fact, it was really hard for me to get out of my car, honestly, because I'd, I, or I'd wait till everyone was in the auditorium, and then I'd come in a bit late just because I couldn't, it bothered me. And uh, what I want is for us as a church to go the next step, to say more than hi in, on Sunday, just to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. He's come in, he's touched our hearts. He's 
come into our home. He's, he's gone over, bent over backward just to help us through life. And so he wants us to do the same kinds of things for others. So if you're a family here that is looking for a place to land, for a church home, for a church family, welcome. Not just now, but you sign that little card, I'll give you a call this week. I'll check on you. I'll see how, how our church can help you find a church home. I'll send you an email first, then we'll, we'll find out a way how I can visit in your home, and you'll pass the foyer greeting. That's my goal. And I want this church to be like that. I hope you find you are more than just welcome, that you're wanted and needed in this church. There's three commands, and there's two blessings. The first blessing is chapter um, 15, verse 5. It says, may the God of encouragement and endurance grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you can serve with one voice and glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he uses two words, encouragement and endurance. I've never remembered reading this before. I know God of love, God of hope, God of peace. But here we have a God of endurance and encouragement. What does this mean? Well, let me give you a few extra words from different translations. Some say it's the God who makes us patient and cheerful, uh, patience and, and uh, comfort. Uh, another the, says comfort in, and strength in waiting. I like that, that picture of God. The two Greek words here that are in play, uh, one is a characteristic of a man who has not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. So this is the kind of God that helps us stand firm, to, to stand under the stress, under the pressure of life. Uh, he helps us to have unwavering faith. The other word uh, in this line is paraclesis, which means comfort or consolation or exhortation. So in John 14, when Jesus is talking about, I'm going to send you another comforter, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. I like this kind of God. <laughs> I like this God that's going to help me stand up under the pressures, that's going to be my comforter, that's going to come alongside me and help me to be strong. And then in verse 13, there's another blessing. He says, may the God of hope, he changes the, the character, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So we've got uh, endurance, encouragement, patience, comfort, strength and waiting, hope, joy, peace, harmony, and power all of these things that God, that Paul is saying are yours, I'm, I'm wanting God to give this to you, to provide this for you. It's like hitting the jackpot. But did you notice that in these verses and what he's doing is actually demonstrating what he's talking about? He's wanting us to build up one another. He's wanting us to please his neighbor. And through these verses, he's, he's doing that for us. Verse 14, I like what he says in verse 14. He says, I myself, I'm satisfied about you, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. He's saying, I'm impressed by what I hear about you there in Rome. You're doing a fantastic job. You're encouraging one another. You're, you're discipling one another. You're serving God. Well done. It's kind of like this is a reminder or an affirmation of the kind of people that they already are. So as I said, uh, last, last week was my one-year uh, anniversary, and in, in, in another week, uh, Kaylee, who is our children's, I'm, I'm actually changing her title, by the way, just so you know. Is she here? Oh, I should tell her this. Um, 
I'm going to be calling her our children's and family minister. We're going to add the portfolio of family because she wants to do a lot of activities for families, to bring families together, have opportunities for the kids to play together and the parents to hang out, have coffee, and we'll have meet at the park and have picnics. We'll do all sorts of things. So families can be supported and encouraged and cared for as well. But uh, becoming an Alliance pastor means I have to take a class about the Alliance history and thought. And so she does too because she's now uh, on staff in a, an Alliance church and she also, so we're taking a class together. I have been in school 22 years. I guess one more doesn't hurt. So I want to say, uh, after being here for a year, I want to say thank you for giving me the opportunity to serve here at MRAC. I can say from the bottom of my heart that there are some of God's best people in this church. When I look out in the foyer and in the congregation and on the work days, I rode the tractor last work day, and I think my back is still sore. But I see some of the most kind and godly, prayerful, generous, funny, Christ-like and encouraging, patient people that I've ever met in this church. So if you're a visitor, don't leave. Stay here, and you will be blessed. I also think that you have one of the finest church staffs in the province. I like the staff of you, that you have assembled in this church. They're fantastic. We're not perfect, but they're pretty close. And I believe that God has some great assignments for this church in the days ahead. So we're in the process right now of putting together a new vision, a mission statement that will carry us for the next five years. Um, there's some exciting ministry opportunities that God's revealing to us right now. I have visit, uh, a meeting with a, another uh, pastor from Coquitlam, and he wants to partner with us. I haven't even told the elders this yet. They'll find out soon enough. <laughs> they want to partner with us to help us reach people groups that we, we don't have any means of reaching right now. And uh, it blows my mind, the opportunity that we have right now to instantly grow a huge part of the population within our congregation uh, with, without hardly doing anything. We're just partnering with other things that God's doing in other churches to say, we're, we're a family. Alliance churches can work together to reach our community. Really exciting. And last, um, we are taking steps to put the missionary back into MR, uh, Maple Ridge Christian and Missionary Alliance Church. We are going to be promoting more uh, missions to be a blessing, not just in our own community, in our city, but in the province, but around the world. And some of these people I was talking to this week can help facilitate that, to get us uh, to do mission trips and throughout Asia, other places. It's, we, when, you know when you pray, God answers. And we've been praying about how to reach our community and reach our world, and he's answering. Are we ready? Are we going to take up the challenge? Are we going to let God do with us what he wants and not say, well, we haven't done that way before, or we've never done that, going, well, guess what? We're about to. Let's, let's, let's have God do some exciting things among us so that, uh, so that we can say, <laughs> we can be a blessing to our neighbor. We can welcome others as Christ has welcomed us so we can build other people up in Christ and have the gospel shared around the world because the MRAC stood up and said, we're ready, God. Send me. Send us. Show us what you want us to do to make a difference. Verse 6, it says that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's what I'm looking for. It's one voice. We've got to be unified, right? We can't be divided. We can't be critical. We can't be worried about stuff. We need to be trust, trusting and faithful and let God show us what he's up to and how to lead and guide us as a church family. So it's exciting days ahead. I'm glad that Paul wrote this as a reminder to us how not to be so focused on ourselves and worried if Superman's going to have my picture on his pajamas, but we are worried about how to reach this community, how to build each other up, how to be um, the next level of welcoming, to go the next step, the second mile, to do what it takes to build one another up and encourage one another in Christ. Let's pray. Thanks, God, for this day. We can honor those who have sacrificed much for us over the years. Pray for my mother, even right now, as she struggles with dementia and, and, and encouraging my father, who also has dementia. It's not an easy life to live, but she has been faithful. She's been a prayer warrior our whole life, as many women here have been. I pray God blessings on our moms. As I pray, I have gratitude for, for the moms that have gone on to be with you and are waiting for that grand reunion one day when you bring us all together. Thank you for this day and a chance to worship you, to look at your word, and to be encouragers of one another. Thank you for this rose that sits here in front of me, an indicator that life has moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, that we've had a person born again into your kingdom, another brother in Christ that we need to encourage and walk alongside and help on his journey to maturity as a Christian. Thank you for this day. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.